Well, what's up? Luke chapter 9 is where we'll be today. If you have a Bible and want to follow along, Luke chapter 9. Um, have you ever fallen asleep in something that was supposed to be awesome? Um, when Courtney and I were dating, uh, her birthday is in December, and so um, I thought it would be nice to take her to the Nutcracker. And the Nutcracker, I didn't know much about it, but I had heard of it, and I remember hearing about it when I was in elementary school, and I had seen this video of like some you know, little army men kind of fighting this big rat. And so I thought, that's kind of an interesting story. I probably just missed it when I was in elementary school. So I was excited to go to this ballet. Um, and so we, we got all uh, dressed up and had a nice dinner. And we get there, and I actually didn't know that it was a ballet. I thought it was a play. And so I was just confused the whole time. And by act two, I just slept through the whole rest of act two. Um, and that is not the most romantic way to spend uh, your evening. Um, but uh, that was the story. Have you ever had a moment like that? Maybe you were sleeping through a dance recital or uh, maybe a baseball game. You had had a couple hot dogs. You're in the sun. You know, it just happens. It's supposed to be awesome, but there you are. I actually also fell asleep one time. I just thought of this um, uh, after the, the last service. Um, I went to a Seahawks Monday night football game with Courtney's dad, and we got there so early that I was just sitting in the stadium, me and her dad, and I took a nap before like the rest of the people got there. Um, so you know what that's like to, to experience something awesome and then fall asleep. Here's why I ask you to think about that is I think it's possible for the same thing to happen with the things of God. It's possible for what should be awesome to us, for us just to fall asleep. Um, in 1907, there was this pastor named A.C. Dixon. I don't know anything about him other than that he wrote this article titled, sleepy Christians. And he asks the question, how do you know if you're asleep? How do you know if you're asleep? And everybody is capable of falling asleep during something awesome. And so when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to your spiritual life, how do you know if you're asleep? And he gives us some signs in that article. I thought this was really interesting and just so wise. 1907, over 100 years ago, this was written. He said, well, what are the, the qualities of a sleeping person? They're motionless or inactive. So if you saw somebody on the couch for an extended period of time and they just didn't move, you would probably just conclude they're asleep because that's what sleeping people do. They, they tend to be motionless, inactive. And that can happen to us spiritually. Are your spiritual disciplines, have they been absent for a while? Is there any activity in your prayer life or in your Bible reading or in your fellowship with other Christians or in your service to others? Is there activity? If there's not, it's possible you're asleep. 
Another mark of being asleep is being unresponsive to small impressions. So if there was a loud bang and somebody moved, well, that's just what you do to a loud noise. But when you're asleep, a small impression wouldn't move you. So just someone whispering your name or someone gently nudging you wouldn't cause you to react because you're asleep. And the same thing can happen spiritually. Do sermons move you? Maybe not this sermon. This might be something that makes you want to fall asleep. <laughs> but, but can you remember a time when you heard God's word taught and it moved you? Something inside of you was moved. It left an impression on you. Can you remember hearing a song and singing and it moving you? Can you remember times of prayer where it moved you? Or can you remember somebody sharing a story about something God was doing in your life and it wasn't just like, yeah, 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 okay, that's cool. But it like actually did something in you. And if those things don't do something to you, if they don't leave an impression, then it's possible you're asleep. Another mark of sleeping is dreaming. And when we dream, we allow things that are not real to feel real. A couple nights ago, um, a couple mornings ago, I woke up and I was just kind of irritated with Courtney. And you've had this experience before. And then I realized, oh, I'm only irritated with you because of something that I dreamed about. You did something to me in my dream, not in real life. Have you had that? And some of us live our lives that way. We live life thinking more about things that are not real than things that are real. And, and here's what I mean. What feels most real to you? What is most needed for your security or your significance or your future? If you worry more than you pray, then there's a chance that you are more consumed with things that are not real than things that are real. You're dreaming. Maybe you're asleep. The last mark that Pastor Dixon from 1907 mentioned was, when you're asleep, you can move and talk without any purpose or direction. When I was a kid, uh, my brother used to sleepwalk, and he would get up and just run down the hallway, and I would watch him, and then he would come back and just get in bed, and that was it. Uh, it was super weird. No purpose to it. Now I'm married to someone who does similar things. Um, a couple of nights ago, Courtney woke me up. I was like, what? what? What's going on, babe? And she literally just said, I can't remember. And she went back to sleep. <laughs> and then I'm up. You know, I don't just, I can't just fall back to sleep, you know? And so then I turned on the Nutcracker, and no, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but when you're asleep, you move and you talk, but there's no purpose to your actions. There's no purpose to what you're doing. And some of us, that's how we live our spiritual lives. It's like, this is just what you're supposed to do. You know, I mean, 
I read my Bible every day. I've done the same, you know, thing for 40 years. I've got the Our Daily Bread thing. And when I'm, you know, in the morning, I just open this thing up and that's what we do. And it's like, yeah, but what's the purpose in it? Why are you doing that? Maybe you've got rituals that you follow, attending church that you do, but there are emotions that don't have meaning. We can also move and talk without purpose or direction by reacting without thinking, having no discernment in our actions. And so you just fire off the email or you just post the thing on social media and you haven't really thought it through. And that could be a sign that you're asleep because that's what sleeping people do. They act without purpose. All of us can fall asleep spiritually at times. And my goal today, as we look at this passage, is that we would be woken up to the things of God. That you as an individual would wake up to the things of God. And that we as a church would be awakened to his glory. So Luke chapter nine, starting in verse 28. Let me catch you up to what's going on in case you've missed a couple weeks. So we're walking through the gospel of Luke in this series and what we've seen so far is Jesus has come to bring good news for all people. And he's, he's bringing the good news by demonstrating his power in all of these incredible ways. He's teaching with power. He's healing people. He's welcoming people who would ordinarily be excluded. He's, he's healed. He's given sight to blind, hearing to deaf. He settled a storm or he calmed a storm. He raised the dead. And then last week, after he's done all of these amazing things, he looked at his disciples and he said, now, in light of everything you've experienced, who do you think I am? Who do you think I am? And the answer they gave was the right answer. They said, you are the Messiah. You are the leader of all leaders. You are the most powerful. You are the one that God promised that he would send, who would save your people, who would bring God's kingdom. You are the Messiah. And Jesus said, you're right. And I'm going to the cross to die. And they couldn't believe that because that doesn't sound like the leader of all leaders. It doesn't sound like what a king would do. Okay, so you're the great king. You're all powerful. You're doing all this power. Why are you going to the cross? And we talked about last week how Luke wants us to see that Jesus demonstrates his power most, not in his strength, but in his suffering. The way that he will redeem, the way that he will make broken things new again is he will go to the cross and he will die for sinners. And then after he has suffered and died, he will be raised from the dead on the third day in glory. And then after he explains that to his disciples, he says, and so you just said I was the Messiah. You just said I was the leader of all leaders. So if you want to follow me, then you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross and you've got to follow me. If you want to follow me, here's where we're going. We're going to the cross. 
And we ask the question, well, why in the world should we go with him to the cross? That sounds terrible. Let's just get another leader. And Jesus says, the reason is because there is glory at the end of that. That if you will take up your cross, if you will deny yourself, if you'll follow me, you'll be glad that you did. On the other side, there is glory. There is resurrection. There is, there is meaning and significance and weight that's eternal. So follow me. And then the last thing he said last week is that there are some of you standing here, speaking to the people he was talking to, his friends, his disciples. There are some of you standing here who won't taste death until you see what I'm talking about. And eight days later, this event happens that we're looking at today. So Luke chapter nine, starting in verse 28. About eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Now, Jesus would regularly withdraw from crowds to pray. We've talked about that as we've gone through Luke. But there's also something significant about the fact that Jesus is going up to a mountain here. Because a mountain in the Old Testament was a place where people would meet with God. At Mount Sinai, that's where Moses went up to receive the Ten Commandments, and it's where God gave the Ten Commandments to his people, Mount Sinai. In the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah met with God at Mount Carmel, and fire fell down from heaven in this miraculous way, and then he, he walked for 40 days to Mount Sinai, the same place Moses had been, and God in this mysterious way revealed his glory to Elijah on the mountain. So mountains are significant in the Old Testament. And so this event that happened in Luke chapter 9 really happened. It was an event. And yet the circumstances surrounding the event are very symbolic, and we're going to point some of those out as we go. So Jesus is going up to this mountain to pray. That means he's going up to connect with his God, and that's what you do on mountains in the Old Testament. So Jesus is going And here's what happens. Verse 29. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. So he's praying, he's in the presence of God and his face changes. Or literally his face face becomes different. It starts to glow. And this is similar to what happened to Moses when he went up on the mountain in the book of Exodus, to meet with God. There was a glow on his face. We're going to see that in just a minute. And not only did his face change and his face start to glow, but his clothes became dazzling white. Now, this might be, seem like a weird sermon title on the screen. Jesus dazzles. You know, like, is that referring to like, a, you know, what, what does that mean? The word dazzle here literally means it was like lightning. It was like a flash of lightning. Have you ever been in a, in a massive open field and seen a lightning bolt come down? Have you ever seen that? When I was driving uh, uh, out here with my dad in the moving truck, we were driving through Wyoming and there's literally nothing around and there was this massive lightning storm. 
And it was amazing. And that's what Jesus looked like. As he was praying, his face starts to glow and he starts to radiate. He starts to be like a flash of lightning on top of this mountain. And suddenly, verse 30, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. So Jesus is praying. He's changed. Matthew's version of this says he's transfigured. He becomes a different looking person where his face is glowing. He's dazzling. He's striking like lightning. And then Moses and Elijah are suddenly with him talking. Now, Moses and Elijah, again, this really happened, but it's symbolic what's happening. Moses and Elijah are the two most famous Old Testament figures. Moses, do you know his story? Moses was the national hero who was born as a slave in Egypt. And through this long series of events, God used Moses to rescue the nation of Israel, to rescue the Jewish people out of Egypt, bring them to Mount Sinai where they were given the law, and he led them to the promised land. And so Moses is the national hero of the Jewish nation. And he shows up to talk with Jesus. Listen to uh, Exodus, just a few accounts about Moses. Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 30. Listen to this. As Moses descended from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, as he descended the mountain, he did not realize that the skin of his face shone as a result of his speaking with the Lord. Verse 30, when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone. They were afraid to come near him. So that's what happened with Moses. He was this phenomenal person that people knew had a deep relationship with God because his face would glow after he would pray. And then in the book of Deuteronomy, God makes this promise. And this is one of the, the earliest messianic promises. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. This is Moses talking. So he says, there is going to be someone like me who comes after me that you need to listen to. And then at the end of Deuteronomy, I think this is added by a scribe. He says, Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10. No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to all his land. And for all the mighty acts of power and terrifying deeds that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. There's going to be this prophet like Moses, and then years later they're saying, and that 
person still hasn't come. Nobody's performed the acts like Moses did. No one has experienced a relationship with God like Moses had because because he met with God face to face. He had an intimate relationship with God. And now here is Jesus on a mountain. His face changes and his clothes begin to be like lightning and Moses shows up. And Elijah with him. Do you know Elijah's story? You probably were familiar with some of that stuff we just shared about Moses, but do you know Elijah's story? You can read this starting in 1 Kings. The story really gets good in like chapter 18. Um, But Elijah was a prophet, a very bold prophet during Israel's, one of Israel's darkest times. When they were turning away from God, Elijah came to lead them back. And they went up on this mountain and there was this kind of contest between Elijah and the prophets of this false god. And Elijah calls down fire from heaven and it comes down. It consumes even the stone, which stones aren't supposed to burn up. So that was crazy. And there's this huge revival in Israel. And then he walks to Mount Sinai and he meets with God in this mysterious way. He, he sees God's glory. And the book of Malachi says, Malachi chapter four, verse five, this is the last messianic prophecy. Look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. So before the day of the Messiah is supposed to come, Elijah will come as a messenger to prepare the people, the book of Malachi teaches. And in Matthew's version of this story, right after this happens, Jesus explains to his disciples that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of that prophecy. John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the Messiah. And now here, Elijah himself has come as a clue that, wait a minute, the Messiah's here. The glory of God is going to come. And so Moses and Elijah show up with Jesus. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, and together they represent the entire Old Testament scriptures, the entire Hebrew Bible. And they show up to talk with Jesus. What do you think they're talking about? Like, what is that conversation? Luke is the only gospel writer who tells us. Verse 31, they appeared in glory. Remember that in just a minute. So they were also radiating. They appeared in glory, Moses and Elijah, and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now this verse is packed with meaning. This is such a cool verse. I wanna try my best to explain it to you. So Moses and Elijah are there. And what is it that they're talking about? They're talking about Jesus's departure. 
Now think about how significant that is for just a minute. If you are an average Jewish person and Moses and Elijah show up, you are talking about Moses and Elijah and the events of their life. You're not talking about yourself. You're saying, hey, Moses, tell me what it was like when all the plagues happened in Egypt. Tell me what it was like when you raised up your arms and you parted the Red Sea. Moses, tell me what it was like when, when the cloud led you through the wilderness. Tell me what it was like when there was, you struck the rock and water came out. Tell me what it was like to see what you saw. If you're a normal Jewish person and Moses is there, you are not talking about yourself. You want to talk about what Moses experienced. And if you're a normal Jewish person and Elijah is there, you're like, Elijah, what was it like when you breathed on those bones? What was it like when you called down fire from heaven? What was it like when you got tucked into the, the cave and you saw this mysterious presence of God? What was that like? What was it like, Elijah, when in 2 Kings chapter 2, there was this massive whirlwind and you rode a chariot into heaven? <laughs> what was that like? A normal Jewish person who shows up and there's Moses and there's Elijah wants to talk about Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah show up on the mountain after Jesus has been transformed. After his face has started to glow and he started to flash like lightning, they show up and what do they want to talk about? They want to talk about him. Do you see the power and the glory of Jesus? And what about him are they talking about? This is powerful, all right? It says that they were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. The word departure is literally the word exodus. They were speaking of his exodus. It's a Greek word that's literally where we get our word exodus. It's just a Greek word, exodus. And it's used only a few times in the New Testament. And it can refer to someone's death, so they're departing the earth. But in Acts chapter 7, it's the word that is used to refer to the exodus from the Old Testament when Moses led the people out of slavery in Egypt and brought them to the promised land. And so what they're talking to Jesus about is the new exodus that he is going to accomplish in Jerusalem by his death. Think about that. In Luke chapter four, when we started this series, the reason this series is called Good News for All People, the redemptive mission of Jesus in Luke, why did Jesus say that he had come to earth? He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor and to proclaim release to the captives. Remember that? 
That's why Jesus has come. That's what Jesus has been doing. He's setting us free from physical bondage by healing us. He's setting us free from supernatural bondage by driving demons out of people. He's setting us free from the natural corruption of the world by calming storms. He's setting us free from death itself by raising the dead. And then last week he says, ultimately all of this redemption is going to be accomplished in my death and my resurrection. So what is Jesus trying to show us? He's trying to show us, look, I've come to lead a new exodus. I'm the new Moses. You are in bondage to sin and death, and I am here to set you free. And the way that I will set you free is by going to Jerusalem and dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. That's what Jesus is going to accomplish. And Moses and Elijah want to talk about that. Yeah, we don't want to talk about splitting the sea. You're about to split the sea like for real, once and for all. We don't want to talk about moving to the promised land and bringing fire down from heaven. Like you are going to lead your people into the promised land, the kingdom of God. That's what they want to talk about. Jesus has come to do something more glorious than Moses and more glorious than Elijah. And Jesus outshines them in glory. The cross and resurrection are what will accomplish this new exodus to bring captives out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, out of slavery to sin, into freedom, out of being no people to being God's people. That's what Jesus has come to accomplish. Now, all of that is taking place. They're having this conversation. Jesus is flashing like lightning. Moses and Elijah are there. The law and the prophets, the whole thing is coming together. What do you think is going through Peter and the other disciples' minds? The answer is nothing. Absolutely nothing because they were asleep. How many of you know it's possible to sleep through something awesome? And so Peter wakes up. Verse 32. Peter and those who were with him were in a deep sleep. And when they became fully awake, listen to this, this is cool. They saw his singular glory and the two men who were standing with him. So they wake up, and remember, I told you to remember this, verse 31, it says that Moses and Elijah also appeared in glory. Remember that? But now, when Peter wakes up with his friends, they saw his glory and the other two men standing with him. But the other two men also appeared in glory. They look a lot different than their buddies here. But there is something so glorious, so radiant, so lightning-like about Jesus that it just, uh, yeah, Moses and Elijah are here too, but wow, Jesus. And so Peter does what Peter does best, and that is talk without thinking. And he says... As Verse 33, as the two men were departing from him, and the word departing there is a different word from the word departure in verse 31, which is significant too. 
Um, as the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And it says, not knowing what he was saying. And that just means he was speaking quickly and ignorantly. See, in Peter's mind, in the disciples' mind, they knew all, that, all those prophecies. They're, they're way more familiar with the Old Testament than you or me. And so for them, they start connecting all these dots and they're like, man, this is the kingdom of God. Jesus said we were gonna see his glory before we died. Here we are, it's only eight days later and oh my goodness. So let's just stay here. Let's just enjoy the kingdom now. And what Peter doesn't realize and what the disciples don't realize, even though Jesus tells them over and over and over from this point forward, what they don't get is that this is just a foretaste of the glory that will be theirs. But in order to experience the glory, in order to experience the power of the crown of God's kingdom, first you've got to take up the cross. They don't get that and they won't get that until Jesus is raised from the dead. And so Peter's saying, let's just stay up here. This is great. Jesus is going, you don't, you don't get what you're saying and while, verse 34, while he's saying this, so he's just talking like, this is great. Hey, you guys, he's trying to put people to work. Like, let's build a tent up here. This is a booth and we'll put it together. Well, he's in the middle of saying this and suddenly a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. And this is terrifying because they're on top of a mountain. Jesus is already like a giant lightning bolt and a cloud starts moving in and Clouds in the Old Testament are also images of God's presence and power. There was a cloud that led the people out of Egypt. There was a cloud that was at the mountain when they received the Ten Commandments. There was a cloud when they built the tabernacle where God would dwell temporarily with them until they built the temple. And then when they built the temple, there was also a cloud that came and filled that space as a representation of the power and presence of God. And now here's Jesus glowing more than Moses and more than Elijah, fulfilling all of these things. And a cloud appears Here's the presence and power of God. It's terrifying. They became afraid as they entered the cloud. Don't miss this. God's presence and power is being symbolized here in this cloud coming. Ordinarily, Humans do not get to enter the cloud in the Old Testament. Moses got to enter the cloud. But nobody else did. None of the other Israelites at Mount Sinai get to go in and enter the cloud. Because the cloud, God's power and his presence is like a furnace. It's... God effects that you can see from a long ways away. But the closer that you get to it, it will consume you. It is too powerful. It will kill you. That's how God's glory is. That's how God's presence and power is. This cloud is representing that. Humans don't get to enter that, but they entered the cloud. Why? 
because Jesus was with them. And only in Jesus can sinners like us enter into God's presence. But they enter the cloud, and once they get in there, (laughs) there's this voice, verse 35, then a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. In other words, Peter. Shh. It's not about you, bro. It's about him. Listen to him. Do you remember what you were supposed to do to the prophet like Moses? Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Listen to him. This is God's declaration that this man, Jesus, is not just a man. He's my son. He's the chosen one. He's the prophet like Moses. You should listen to him. Verse 36. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They kept silent and at that time told no one what they had seen. Now, in Luke, that's kind of weird. It's just ambiguous. Like, that's kind of weird. You experience something like that, you think you'd go tell people. So why are they silent about it? In Matthew's version, Matthew lets us know that on the way down the mountain, Jesus told them not to tell anyone until after he had been crucified and was raised from the dead. But they would tell of this story again. John, at the beginning of his gospel, will say, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And Peter will also tell the story about this moment. In 2 Peter, this is a letter that Peter was writing to the early church. In 2 Peter chapter 1, You should just read that sometime, uh, especially starting in like verse 11 and following, because there are so many references and connections to this passage we just studied in 2 Peter chapter 1. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, many years later, Peter is going to explain what his experience was like at the transfiguration when he saw Jesus in his glory and he heard the voice from heaven. And right before he tells the story, Here's what he says. Listen to this. I think it is right, as long as I am in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder. In other words, Peter knows that just like he fell asleep to Jesus' glory, it's possible for that to happen to us. And so he says, one of the reasons I'm writing to you before I depart, and he actually uses the word departure that's found here that refers to the Exodus, which is so cool. Before I depart, before I die, I want to wake you up 
with a reminder about his glory. Do you need to be woken up? Do you need to be gently reminded about his glory? Wake up. Waking up means I think three things. First, it means looking to his glory. Let me ask you some questions. Does Jesus capture your imagination and your wonder? Are you ever moved to sing or to shout or to cry when you think about Jesus? Do you ever stand in awe? Tim Keller writes, a sleepy Christian may believe they're a Christian but they don't have a real sense of God's holiness, their own sin, or the depth of his grace. Do you have a real sense of that? When you think about God, do you become aware of your sin and how much you do not deserve to be with someone like him? And when you think about your sin, can you not help but cling to the cross where Jesus makes it possible for sinners like you and me to be welcomed into the presence of God? Are you awake to that? Revival starts when people who thought they were Christians begin to wake up to the reality of God's glory. So look to his glory. See the beauty of Jesus on the cross, hanging for sinners and being raised from the dead. Look to his glory. Embrace him. Repent of your sins and believe again. Look to his glory. Here's the second thing. These are all cute and rhymy. Live for his glory. How do you know if you're awake? You are living for his glory. Here's some questions to think about. Who are you living to please? Whose agenda shapes your schedule? If you accomplished everything on your bucket list, would more people know and love Jesus as a result? Whose glory are you living for? Living for glory means following Jesus and taking up your cross, enduring suffering with joy. Not because you enjoy what's happening, but because you know the future. Live for his glory. Here's the third thing. Look to his glory. Live for his glory. You could probably guess the third. Long for his glory. Long for his glory. A day is coming when pain and sorrow will be no more. 
set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus returns, the kingdom will come. They got to experience a foretaste of that on the mountain. But when Jesus returns to the earth, he's bringing all of it with him. Revelation chapter three, verse 21 says, to the one who conquers, this is Jesus speaking, to the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus says, I am a king who's coming back. And when I come back, all of those who endure, all of those who take up their cross and follow me, you will get to sit with me on my throne. You will get to reign with me. So long for that glory. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 and following. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So lift your eyes this morning off of the temporal and fix them on something eternal. Long for his coming. Be awakened. Wake up. Let me pray for you and ask the Holy Spirit to help us with this. Father, thank you for sending your son full of grace and truth. God, would we behold his glory. God, I ask that your spirit would be active now to open eyes to gently nudge hearts and wake them up, not by the power that is in any preacher, but in the power that's in your word. Would your spirit use it like a sword this morning to cut into our hearts so that we would be fully awake, alert to your glory. Would we be a church who is awake? It's in Jesus' name that I ask, amen. Would you stand with us?